welcome to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Craig Lambert, welcome to the Unicorns. Thank you, Justin. So you're the founder of Slingshot. How did the idea of Slingshot first materialize? Well, um, I'm lucky to be um, part of a co-founding team. And uh, my co-founder, Trent Bagnell, actually came up with the idea. Um, and he approached me to join. But in essence, Trent had run a, a tech business. He took a public. That journey was a seven-year journey. And when he exited that, he, he looked at, at how he could have shortened that shortened that trip, if you like, um, to use a pretty basic terminology, um, and looked at lean methodology and how startups were, were growing and scaling quickly. And, and we looked at a lot of that methodology, took our own business experience and thought that we could bring that to startups, and that's really how Slingshot started. And so how did you get it off the ground? What were the first steps in, in trying to make it all work? Well, the first thing was just building a, a very small collection of stakeholders that believed what we believed in, um, that gave us validity and, and also too gave us a bit of reach and expertise. Uh, we started the business in Newcastle. So we engaged Newcastle University. We engaged the local media companies. We engaged the local division of PwC. And... Um, and through the collection of those stakeholders, we were able to get the business off the ground. And really, the next step then was to, to find the money we needed to, to make investments. And um, PwC introduced us to Artesian, who very quickly came on board and, and helped us build uh, our first fund. Did those first partners understand what you were trying to do? I think in rudimentary terms, they understood what we were trying to do. Um, we were trying to help entrepreneurs grow and develop their business. Um, you know, even though this was seven years ago, most people understood what a startup was and the potential that a startup uh, could have, particularly from a return on investment perspective. So I think there was a rudimentary understanding. I think we had a rudimentary understanding of it as well. But it's only after you immerse yourself in a business like ours um, do all those details really come to light and the challenges and, you know, and the excitement and, and all the, all the in-between. And so let's let's talk about some of the corporate clients uh, that you work with now, and maybe worked with, well, that you've worked with over the journey of, of Slingshot. Can we can we go through some of the, yeah, the yeah, big businesses sure. you've worked with? Yeah, sure. So, in essence, we started Slingshot without corporate partners. Uh, the first two cohorts we ran. Um, we ran those really to make investments um, from our fund. The accelerator model is a very good way to do that. You know, you get access to a large number of people applying to the program. You shortlist those and you pick the ones you think have the highest potential and you run those through an intense program, giving them the resources, access to smart people, some working capital, co-working space, all those type of things. Um, unfortunately, it's not a great business model because it doesn't generate the cash you need to really put the money into that operating business. Um, so along the way, um, through partnerships with other corporates, with people like PwC, we were introduced to enterprise businesses, large corporates that wanted to innovate and wanted some assistance in doing that. And we thought the corp we thought the accelerator model was just a great way to do it. So I won't claim that we ran the very first corporate accelerator. We first, we certainly ran one of the earliest corporate accelerators. Um, and that was with NRMA. And NRMA okay. had, a, had a, a, a problem that, you know, exists with 
uh, a lot of businesses. They've got a, a strong brand and a, a large existing member base and, and a really robust legacy business. But what does the future look like? And they wanted to know that and they wanted to know how they could future-proof themselves and what sort of new businesses could be aligned to what they do and what new businesses could sort of take advantage of all the legacy that they had in place. And really, that's kind of where our first accelerator started. And we were very lucky. We had some early success. And success, you know, we mean by finding great startups that continue to grow and attract investment and finding startups that were relevant to solving problems with NRMA. NRMA ended up making some investments. NRMA got some new products out of it, and they got some knowledge transfer. And because it was one of the first of its type, uh, other corporates started to pay attention. So pretty quickly, we bought on businesses like HCF, uh, Caltex, Qantas and the like, and we've we've ended up now running about 30, 30 plus programs for corporates. So what is the experience like for a startup business starting from, from scratch, going through an accelerator like Slingshot? Talk us, talk us what Talk us through what that actually means. Well, I think the best thing that an accelerator does and in the format that we've run the majority of ours, we, we run ours in two streams, if you like. And we want to talk about startups. We talk about early stage businesses that are probably yet to, yet to prove their business model, yet to have product market fit, um, yet to have enough metrics so they can get external capital, um, don't have enough cash coming in to be able to sort of um, have a long-term sustainable view of it. So, so they need a they need a really good start. Um, and accelerators provide a, a great opportunity to give them a good start. It's a bit of tough love, um, you know. We don't we don't as much back ideas. Yeah, you know, we certainly back entrepreneurs. You've got to be very resilient. But within the programs that we provide, and most other other accelerators do a similar thing. Yeah, you, know, you break it down into what you need to be good at at the early stages of running a business. So the first thing is, you know, you've, you've, got to, you've got to test that that idea is validated and people will pay for it. The business model that, that people choose to engage you with is sustainable when you can grow it. You've got to operate um, in an area, ideally, that doesn't um, attract a, a lot of heavy costs to the business. That's why these tech startups are good. And then you've got to be able to show growth and, and growth through customers and revenue. So, you know, in a very short period of time, we, we bring a lot of that skill set in. Also, Tom, probably the best thing is, um, and I think we, we do a very good job of this, is, is around the founder piece. Um, we're not a cheer squad. We have very direct conversations um, with our founders, and we want to make sure that if you're on the journey of entrepreneurship, it's, it's certainly going to be probably more challenging than easy, um, and you've got to be really prepared for that. And most people in your circle of influence, whether that be friends, family, or people you know, they'll give you support, but sometimes that support is... Um, is misguided and you get a little bit of false um, false hope into the potential of the business because no one likes to fail and, you know, we don't like seeing people fail. But, you know, sometimes the business metrics don't stack up. You know, I think we're actually pretty good at that at an early stage, helping people understand they probably shouldn't waste the next 12, 24 months on something that's not going to give them a, a sustainable business model. And do you have those hard conversations with the startup founders? Yes, I have those conversations probably later in the piece. I mean, it's really difficult very early on. We want them to do the work first. I think by doing the work first, they get the skills and knowledge to be able to pick up another idea and run it through the same process. Um, mm. And, yeah, you need data to make, a, to make an informed decision. Look, you know, I can't pick an idea. 
you know, you need the market to tell you whether that's a it's a relevant idea, whether it's scale or whether the business model is the right business model. So they've got to do the work. And probably in the accelerator, we see two things. A, people are, are ready and prepared to do the work. So I'm probably a little bit more forgiving if the metrics don't stack up because effort and energy means a lot in the entrepreneurship space. But if you see people go through, just rest on the idea, focus on the product, don't do the work, don't engage the customers and the metrics don't stack up, well, towards the end of the accelerator, we'll, we'll let them know in a way that's appropriate that, you know, yep. it, it's probably not going to turn into a sustainable business. The however to that is this. <clears throat> You know, we've seen startup founders where I've had those discussions and I, I actually had one, a, a great story happen a couple of weeks ago where, I, where, where I'd sat down with a founder and they vehemently disagreed with me and now their startup's just been recognised as one of the top 100 insure tech startups in the world. So I'm really <laughs> glad that they vehemently disagree with me and continue to grow their business. <laughs> so did you get that wrong? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I've got it wrong not because... Do I get it wrong? I think the advice at the time, you're trying, to, you're trying to do the right thing. Like an accelerator program, you know, we don't drive the bus. We don't run their businesses. So so that's that's a good thing because whatever mm. decision they make, you know, it's, it's, it's the decision that they should do. We never tell them to do anything. But, you know, if the market's tough and the metrics aren't there, you know, and the work and effort they've put in over a long period of time isn't showing any rewards, um, you know, you, you really want to sit down with the founder and, and ask them whether, you know, where's the evidence that they should continue. Um, and I'd say most of the time, you know, if they choose to continue, um, we've probably proven that, you know, we were giving them the right advice. But I'm delighted in this particular example that, you know, the resilience of the founder came through. That business aside, you've obviously been exposed to a lot of startups, hundreds of startups over the years, the seven years that Slingshot's been going. Can you name a few who stand out to you? Yeah, so in terms of startups that stand out, look, the things that stand out to me are the founders. They're, they're the founders. And, and typically, if you, if you reflect on it, in our portfolio, which has about 100, the ones that are the most successful from a valuation perspective, a growth perspective, a revenue perspective, are the ones where the founders are, you know, demonstrate really similar characteristics, you know. It's, it's a... It's a real strong industry market knowledge in the problem they're trying to solve. Like they just know the problem well, and actually probably got a lot of experience in it before they come in. Mm. Yeah, you know, resilience. Yeah, you know, they're just they're just good. They're just hard workers. Just continue to work hard. Um, always, you know, always deliver on what they say they're going to do. They've actually been exceptionally good. They're just the ones I'm thinking of now. I'll name them in a sec. Exceptionally good at just building culture as well, and not culture for the purpose of you know ticking a box, but you know, they've built a great business and a great brand and all the stakeholders that are involved with it, whether it be staff, customers or investors, you know, they know what that brand stands for. Um, you know, with all of them, they've done it for the right reasons. They haven't done it for, you know, this perceived quick exit, which is a bit of a problem in the startup ecosystem. They're not doing it for the money. Um, what they're doing it for is they're, they're doing it to sort of build their own business, Um so, yeah, so, so they've probably all got that. So the ones that kind of stick out for me. Um, so we've got Gamers, which is, a, which is a media platform for the gaming community um, in eSports. And eSports yep. is huge. It's hot. It's hot at the moment. You know, definitely. And, and Gamers would be, if not in the top 
three, definitely in the top three um, gaming media companies in the world. They've got 10 million monthly active users, and a lot of those are in the US. You know, high value advertising revenue. Riyadh, who founds that business, is just you know an exceptional young founder, ticks all the boxes. Uh, Campify, which is a marketplace, um, which is yes. people you know sharing caravans, camp, um, uh, caravans, motorhomes. They've taken that business global. So they've got offices um, throughout Europe, um, Southeast Asia. Um, yeah, it's doing, doing a great job, growing a really simple idea that we'd been pitched before, but their execution sort of proved the value of the founders. And another good one's Audience Republic. So Jared Christensen came to us. And when he pitched to us, look, he might have been 20, 21, and he was running, he was running events in the sort of dance community. And he'd run a couple he'd been successful with, and then he ran one, and he, I think he lost about $30,000. Mm. So he came in and he said, well, you know, my last um, effort, I lost $30,000, but I know what to do next time. So he's just built a, a great ticketing platform helping you know, promoters and people who run large events be able to supplement their, their normal marketing activity. But that's a global business as well. He's doing a great job. Um, so, you know, those sort of businesses really stand out. I could go on and on and on, but it's a bit like your favourite kids. You don't want to call that too <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's let's look at the evolution of Slingshot from where it began to what it is now. How has Slingshot evolved over the last seven years? Yeah, so I'd suggest it's gone through probably three stages. The first one is we started Slingshot very much to, to make investments in early stage businesses. And look, 100 companies in our portfolio, we've certainly got 20 plus that are high performing growth businesses. So we, we, we've ticked that box. That's been really, that's been really successful for us. Um, it's something we've really enjoyed to do. And because we got in early, you know, there wasn't as much competition for some of these high value founders. So we were really lucky to be able to grab them at the stage we did. So then we moved more into working with corporates, which was great from a, from a business perspective. We were able to monetize our operation, bring in great people, great processes, um, be able to make it the best accelerator and best business we can by offering uh, that accelerator product. But then what we've morphed into more now is moving away from that accelerator model for corporates um, for a couple of reasons. One is that it relies on a lot of resources for the corporates to be able to um, engage in a corporate accelerator. Um, a lot of early stage businesses as well, the corporates thought they might be interested in. I think we've all discovered that but they're too small for corporates really to, to have an impact and um, and they tend to just crush the um, crush the startups when they try to engage them. They just don't have the resources to be able to deal with the corporate. And look, most corporates need help solving a variety of problems and I think there's a variety of solutions that can do that. So we're much more bespoke now, whereas we had one product before, which was an accelerator. Now really corporate innovation is what we do. Um, we provide those services in, a, in a, a variety of different ways, really based on what the client's industry is, where their business is, what resources they've got. So it's a really bespoke um, approach. So you mentioned corporate innovation. Let's talk about that. What are some of the challenges that, that corporates, big businesses face when they try to innovate? Well, I think the biggest challenge is just, you know, it's business as usual. It's just the machine that that generates the revenue and occupies most of the most of the corporate's mind is is day to day, and day to day is a big pull. So when you want to get out of day to day and do something different, um, 
and stick to that strategy and stick to it in the medium term, which is, you know, at least three years, it's just challenging to do. It just is. They're just finding it challenging. So corporates are, are experimenting with innovation. I'd say typically what we've found is that the majority of those who've experimented haven't haven't had that wow moment yet. Mm. So therefore, they've lost a bit of confidence um, in what innovation should be and, and where it fits. So based on that, what makes the, the best innovation? Do you need that wow factor? Well, look, you know what? I think some industries are more... Um, they're probably in in a in the right space to be innovating at the moment. I mean, financial services is a great example. So you've seen most of the, you know, if not all the major banks and, and second tier banks really throw themselves into servicing their customers in a different way using technology. Um, they're really well resourced. They've got smart people working inside. And also too, external to that, there's a whole bunch of people that want to disrupt their business. So those external people trying to disrupt their business, they either bring them into the fold, they partner with them. So financial services is something that that innovation is starting to, we're all starting to benefit from the innovation that's happening there. So, so it is a little bit industry specific. Um, and then you're seeing some businesses like media, um, which has tried to innovate, but, you know, once again, business as usual has been such a huge pull on that. Now mm-hmm. they're going through, you know, really challenging times. Um, you know, how do they then deal with it? Um, so they're looking at sort of, um, you know, either acquisitions or different strategies, and some of those are very expensive. So, look, at, I think it depends a lot on, on the industry. And what does the research tell you about potential roadblocks when, say, the C-suite of a corporate is not aligned to the person internally or externally driving innovation or someone trying to spur on innovation within a within a business if if that is misaligned can it work well not really no it's got to be tied to strategy if it's not tied to strategy strategy is the blueprint for what a business should do so everyone buys into the strategy and the strategic visions there if innovation is tied to strategy it has a much higher chance of success um yeah you definitely need a champion internally but if it's down to one champion and we've seen this in our business and, you know, I know other people have experienced it as well. If the champion leaves to go to another opportunity or wherever, usually the innovation program dies with that person. So that's a challenge. Um, you've got to have some type of tangible outcome. And I think you've got to know what that looks like up front. So they're the mm. really hard discussions that I think after seven years we, we've actually got much better at having. Um, you know, you need to go into it with, with a view on what success looks like and you need to temper with the corporate partner, um, what you think that is. And you know, I spoke to, to someone who's led big innovation projects for a couple of big brands the other day. Their view was it's a, it's a 12 to 24-month window, and within that 24 months, um, it's really identifying within the corporate what their capabilities are. And what I mean by that is it's the stuff you don't think of that slows innovation down. It's legals. It's the complexity of, of how you operate running contracts, it's compliance, it's data protection, it's the fact All the boring stuff. It's the, you know what, it, it, it's the thing that creates the friction. So, yeah. you know, businesses like ours, we can go and find startups, we can engage with the innovation departments, we can run events, we get everyone excited, and then you can literally get stuck um, with legal if you haven't thought about those things. So so we do a lot of that work up front now to give us a much better chance of success at the end. So that's just a bit of experience coming into play. 
Do you think Australia is good at innovation when compared to, say, other parts of the world? Oh, look, you know what? That's a really tough one to answer. You know, we punch above our weight in everything that we do. You know, if you look at the, you know, at the dominant people in, in most areas of expertise globally, Australians, you know, are, are there or thereabouts. So, you know, I don't think it's our capabilities. Literally, I think it comes down to a little bit of population, um, access to capital. You know, if you're in the US or Europe, you know, access to capital is, is easier. Population yeah. means that you can make a bigger impact. I don't think it's the people or the intent. Um, but also, too, look, we run, we're pretty conservative um, with our approach. We, we are risk-averse. Um, you know, this has been documented by many other people, not just myself, but we are risk-averse to, to a degree. We don't like to make a mistake and we like to do things well. Um, therefore, we don't like to fail, which I think, you know, is, is a reasonable way to operate. But it does mean trying to challenge the status quo um, and shake things up. It, it is a little bit more difficult, I think. So we're going we're going through some tough times at the moment, obviously, with COVID-19. Parts of the economy are shutting down or have shut down. Businesses are probably looking inward. What's your advice to corporates who are grappling with how to emerge from hibernation and are probably thinking about innovation, but they're not sure about where to begin? Well, I, I think you begin at strategy. We said it before. Like, you've got to look at, at, at strategy. Look, bravery is something that's probably got to come into into courage. Someone said it to me the other day. Courage is, is what they see in great in great leaders, and there's got to be a little bit of courage. I think the model that we operate um, is one that lends itself to um, to lessen the risk. So identify strategically where you want to play. Let businesses like a slingshot go and go and identify what who's out there that's currently doing it. And then let us do the, the pre-work, you know. Will they stand up to your legals? Are they the right cultural fit? A little bit like a headhunter if you like. But put it into a really robust business case. And when it goes into the, in, into, back into the corporate, the one thing they're not good at is making a definitive decision. So yes or no. No's all right. Yes is better, but no's all right. A lot of innovation projects just get stuck in this vortex of nowhere where they just want to, yeah, we just want to have another look. We'll just wait another three months. We'll just wait for a few other things to change. And, you know, the time kills everything here. Mm. And, the, and the longer an innovation program um, doesn't deliver um, results, um, the more likelihood it is that it's going to fail. We've recently run some research with 300 innovation leaders and feedback was that, you know, you've got 12 months to have an impact. So move quickly. Because the issue is 12 months down the track, 18 months, two years, if nothing happens, it's business as usual. Well, nothing will change. If anything, it, it will just go backwards. Well, it's not only that. See, people change, business strategies change, CEOs change, boards change. There's a lot that changes. So when you first start talking to a client, if we've got a two-year contract, um, you know, that's a three-year relationship. So I can tell you typically that at the start of that three years and the end of the three years, that business has changed considerably, you know, restructures, um, you know, new technology being implemented, lots of things change. Um, you know, now, we're, we're conditioned to change, so it's okay for us. But um, the innovation strategy has got to also be flexible to those business changes as well. Um, and 
you know, it's probably got to be a, a little bit immune to those business changes because it, it does suffer, particularly if you know, there's departmental or, or people changes. Now, I know Slingshot has recently launched something called The Practice. What's the idea behind The Practice? Yeah, we're really excited by The Practice. So, you know, it's all about people, isn't it? So getting the best people possible is is what is what our corporate partners want us to do. Um, and, and finding and identifying those, I'll, I'll have to say over the course of the journey, it would only be one out of, say, four or five people that we've identified as having potential have actually come into the business and had an impact um, with our corporate clients. So it's really difficult in the innovation space to, to find the high performers. So we've been fortunate enough that we've we've collected a group of, of high performers. And they, these are people that typically, look, they've got their own business. They're successfully running their own um, consultancy or small agency. Um, but they want to work with top-tier companies. They want to work with startups. And this is a great way for, for them to do it. So in essence, what the practice is, is a collection of, of um, specialists in their field in areas like um, HR, marketing, um, strategy and growth, and technology. These specialists would be hard to find if you're a corporate or high-growth startup. We give you access to either use them directly or if you want us to put together a team of people to solve a problem, Slingshot can put together the team. So really it's just about putting the best people in innovation in Australia together in one group that high-growth startups or corporates can access directly or someone like Slingshot can put together an ACE team. So, no, we're really excited about it. Okay, time for the crystal ball. Let's look ahead five years. What's the landscape looking like for innovation within Australia? Wow, wouldn't it be good if I knew that? (laughs) So what's it going to look like? Well, as tragic as the deaths around COVID have been, I think – it's, it's forced change. It's forced people to do things that they wouldn't have done at the pace that they've done it at, you know, and I think the obvious ones that people go to all the time, you know, which impact our business quite a bit, things like remote working, yeah, using technology to connect, just changing the way we do things. And we've had to change it and corporates have had to change how they do things really quickly. And, and you know what they've learned? They've learned that it didn't break anything. People and processes are probably more resilient, more have more flex in it than they thought. So I'm encouraged by that, and I'm encouraged that that what we're currently going through um, will give people the confidence to to make decisions and make them more quickly. Look, obviously, technology is going to play a huge part in 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 what happens in the future, you know. And it's all the things like you know autonomous vehicles, um, you know, the role of of robots, um, you know, IoT devices. Like, there's just a whole bunch of technology that's going to come in and make our life much easier. But I think the thing is what we do, the, probably the biggest change to answer the question is what people do for work. That's going to be the biggest change. And I think people will be able to do the things that they're more passionate about. And I think there'll be much more flexibility in how you go to work, which will hopefully give people more, um, more time and opportunity to spend on themselves and on their families and the people they want Fantastic. Craig Lambert from Slingshot, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Justin. Talk to you anytime. Bye.